0: So I think think this is the last of this seminar series, so I think you've heard a lot about Japanese low fertility, and I hope I'll be giving you new information and not repeating too much what you've already heard. But uh, as we all know very well, low fertility is a problem that has afflicted, the low fertility crisis has afflicted a lot of countries in Europe and now really all of East Asia. Um, And so I wanted to start by just sketching out some very general um, phenomena or general characteristics of Japanese um, low fertility, which we may not always um, think about a lot. Um, Something that doesn't come up very often, I think, in the low fertility discipline, in Japan is that Japanese fertility has been declining for 60 years. This is not something that started, you know, when the bubble burst or whatever. I can't see anything here, so it's (laughs) okay. But um, it's really been a very long, continuous um, decline. So we can go back to the late 40s and, and trace the decline from there. Now, there was, of course, Japan had a mini baby boom, and it had the 1.7 shoku, you know, that one year. But, um, but it, this is not a recent phenomenon, um, the decline. And so to start out with, I'm, I'm just going to have us look at some um, total fertility rates for a number of post-industrial societies. And first, first the, this set, and then I'll add Japan and other countries. So I started in 1970 here. And Again, this is the total fertility rate. Um, and Spain is a really interesting case. I'm doing other work on Spain because the fertility decline in Spain has been so rapid. The social change has been so rapid. But you can see um, actually going to 1970, I can't, I'm not going to do a trip, but I'm going over this thing. But um, Swedish fertility was actually just below replacement level in 1970. Um, And, as you'll see, that's pretty much where Japanese fertility was in 1970. Um, So that's Japan. um, I realize there are a lot of countries in this graph. But Japanese fertility was actually higher than Swedish fertility in 1970. Um, Actually, probably... Well, We don't have a... No, we don't have a pointer. No. Okay. That's okay. Um, So... Here I've added um, a number of East Asian societies and, you know, as we know in the rest of East Asia the fertility decline has been much more recent and therefore much, much faster. So that top line, actually I can uh, I need some arrows, the top line is um, uh, Korea, South Korea. So South Korea is kind of like Spain, because the fertility decline has been recent and very, very rapid. A great deal of social change. Ah. I think we could do that way. Right? And then at least will save you from everything at this oh, okay. point. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Maybe better, at least for now. Yeah, later I won't need to refer, but thanks. Um, so yeah, what I wanted to do was um, just trace Japan for you, which is like this. So it's really been pretty continuous, a little bit of a blip there. And the slow, you know, painful decline and ending up here together with Italy. Um, and Sweden is super interesting um, because as I said in 1970 Swedish total fertility was actually below um, Italy's and and um, Japan's. So Swedish fertility, um, this line, it fluctuated a lot, and then it recovered. So you end up in 2010 with Sweden and the United States both having very close to replacement level fertility, which is a little over two children per couple, allowing for a little bit of infant and child mortality. So Sweden and the US end up there, and Japan is here. And then Hong Kong is extraordinarily low, as in Singapore and um, Korea. But anyway, this is just to illustrate that Japan is is kind of interesting in the fact that the fertility decline has been so protracted. Um, And secondly, um, as we know, Japan stands in Stark contrast with a lot of. Oh, sorry, let me just show this briefly. So, total fertility for the do- demographers in the room, total fertility is, of course, a very, approc- not approximate, but a, a constructed measure. And a better measure um, is um, completed cohort fertility. So, but it's the data requirements are much more. Um, much more than you can get total fertility rate for any country in the world. But to get completed cohort fertility, it's a little bit more difficult. So uh, this is a graph that shows completed cohort fertility for women born in 1935, that birth cohort, and then for successive birth cohorts. So the horizontal axis is the birth cohort. So these are women um, in 2010 who were born in 1970, so they're 40 years old. And the patterns are basically the same, but I just wanted um, to show that. Um, Again, the data, you can't get completed cohort fertility for quite as many countries, but um, it's a better better measure because it shows what actually happened in the reproductive lifespan of um, given cohorts of women. Um, Okay, so the second feature of Japanese fertility is, of course, as we all know, the continued centrality of marriage um, and the continued standardization of the life course in many ways in Japan. So as Katya has shown in her work, um, very low rates of non-marital childbearing in Japan, low rates of cohabitation, um, although cohabitation is becoming Um, somewhat more popular but um, the latest data I looked at found just 3% of men and women in their 20s and 30s cohabiting although we have some um, empirical examples that some of us know about (laughs) but um, very low rates on average so this really puts pressure on low fertility policies to address the issue of fertility within the context of marriage and where possible by government measures to somehow make marriage a more attractive option because um, I don't know if Len Schilpa talked about this um, when he was here but You know, a a great portion of fertility in in many European countries, and to some extent in the U.S., is non-marital childbearing. And no matter what you think about that in terms of child well-being or you know moral concerns, that's that's the way it is. And Japan is very is a very different model. So marriage and childbirth um, tend to be very very closely associated. also, Japan stands out as an exception to the macro-level trend in many post-industrial societies um, in that there has not quite yet, although it seems to be happening, this the reversal of the negative association between female labor force participation in the aggregate and fertility. So. Ron Rinfus and a lot of other demographers have written about how up until the 1970s, if you plot um, female labor force participation rates in a country, sorry, they should be going up, and fertility, they, they crisscross. So in other words, um, the higher female labor force participation was, the lower fertility was. which looked you know, crudely like great incompatibility for women between being in the labor market and having children. And then from the 1980s onward, what was really fascinating is those two lines started moving together. So in other words, um, in the countries like Sweden, um, France, um, uh, a number of other European countries, the United States, Canada, Um, Rates of female labor force participation have been going up, and fertility is very stable, you know, just kind of parallel to it. And in Japan, the association is still mildly negative, although it looks like, as female labor force participation rates for married women um, are rising, they're rising. Fertility is not rising, but at least the the two, there's not a negative association anymore between those. Um, but there certainly has been in Japan for much longer than in um, most Western countries. And then, as you know, and I understand from Katya that last week you had a policy um, speaker, um, you know, Japan's not unique in this aspect, but it is kind of striking the extent to which the Japanese government has been so aggressive with um, purported you know, fertility policies in the last 20 years, and they really, it's hard to find evidence that they've done much good, that those policy efforts have really paid off. So again, Japan is not alone in that. Certainly, um, I mean it's not doing much good in Korea either. Um, although the policies are a bit more recent there, but but it is striking that the government has tried so hard and there's been so little effect of the policies to boost fertility. So I wanted to start out with those um, sort of um, characteristics of Japanese fertility, and then. Um, I wanted to show some data on um, Japanese marital fertility. Um, because as I said, you know there are really two problems, um, which again, I think probably you all know about very well, especially after the seminar series. One is delayed age of marriage and higher rates of non-marriage in Japan. And then the other is um, decline in fertility within marriage so smaller numbers of children within marriage and Katya and I are actually working on the marriage part of this um, with another person and what I'm going to talk about today empirically is the issues are the issues regarding child rearing childbearing and child rearing within marriage so given that people marry why are they not having two or three kids Um, and The demographer, the Japanese demographer Naohiro Ogawa, several years ago wrote um, a really good paper um, which talked about Japanese policy. And then the part that I found really, really helpful was he looked at different periods of Japanese fertility decline, which, as you see, has been over a long period. So you can separate out 10 or 15 years at a time. And what he showed, um, obviously, in the early years of Japanese fertility decline, almost all of the reason for fertility decline was because fertility was falling within marriage from four kids to three kids. Three kids to two kids, um, but in the most recent period that he looked at, which I think was up to, uh, ni- up to 2000 or so, what he found was that the two main reasons for that continued decline in the most recent period um, was indeed this delay in age at marriage, and or um, rates of you know remaining single forever, and. Um, decline in the pro- progression from first birth to second birth. So in other words, stop what demographers call stopping behavior. So people who have had one child not going on and having a second child. So it's that second piece that I'm going to look at, which is, you know, once people do get married, why are they not having two kids or three kids? Um, So I wanted to show you, um, (coughs) actually, I wanted to show that one first. So this um, is also aggregate data from the Japanese National Fertility Survey um, in various years. And so you can see here that there's still a very strong two-child norm in Japan, not just a norm, but. The behavior of having two children. If you go ahead and get married and you have kids, um, you know, the majority of people have two kids. So that really hasn't changed over, you know, this long period. Um, Obviously, the number of people having three or more um, has gone down, (coughs) but 21%. That's actually much higher than Korea at this point. Rates of having getting married and remaining um, um, without children have gone up a little bit, but it's you know most people continue to have kids if they get married. Rates of having one child um, have gone up to 16 percent. Um, so that shows you you know the change within um, marriage, marital fertility, um, and it does show again that the um, the um, Predominant pattern is to have two children. But of course, these data are automatically very dated because this is for couples who've been married that long, right? I mean, we can't say for couples that have been married five years or seven years how many, what their completed fertility is because we don't know. So this is couples who've been married for that length of time and they've probably finished having kids. Um, So, you know, if we were able to project Um, you know what couples marrying now right now how many children they would have it could be very different it could be much lower but this does show surprising stability across um, these uh, cohorts marital cohorts we can call them oh so um, so I wanted to also show um, how many people how many children married individuals would like to have, ideally. So, of course, in demography, we all know this question, what is your ideal number of children? Or what is the ideal family size? And this is, these data are also taken from the Japanese National Fertility Survey. And you can see the ideal number of children, and this, again, is for people who've been married, because we want to look also at their completed or actual fertility. But, um, you know, it's well over two. And currently, Japanese married individuals tend to say two. They want to have two kids. Um, But the actual fertility, there's a gap. And I just easily computed the gap. And it's very stable. So there's a gap of half a child, at least half a child. And this is not unusual. I mean, Japan is not unusual in this regard. But it kind of dispels the notion that Japanese just don't want kids. And I have other data that we could talk about if you want to talk more about um, aspirations for having children. But um, despite what the media says, (laughs) says, um, the vast majority of young Japanese want to have children. Whether they do or not is a different question. Um, But certainly, aspirations to, to be parents and probably do have more than one child Um, continue so okay what's the problem what's going on Um, I'm not going to talk about policy because I know you've heard a lot about policy except to say that um, policy especially very recently um, has been focused on um, having enough public child care spaces and making it possible for women to combine work and family so, um, I have other papers I'm writing on child care leave policy and the implementa- implementation of child care leave. But, I mean, in one, in one sense, Japanese policymakers are right that if they could, going from the experience of other countries, if they could make work and family more compatible for women, probably the fertility rate would go up. But making that compatibility is extremely difficult. Um, and I, I know that probably all of you know a lot about the Japanese cultural and social context and the context of work. Um, Should I talk about that at all? Work hours and so <laughs> forth? I think yeah. probably you all are quite familiar. That they right? work long hours. Yeah, they work long, long hours. hours. <laughs> and, um, A lot of the um, Japanese child care, well, for one thing, child care um, leave is only available to women who are working full time. So it's not available to contingent workers, right? So it's available to women who are working full time. And those are the women who are the most likely, obviously, to be in careers and to be subject to the demands of commitment to the company and so forth. so um, again, we could talk more later if, if we have time and if you want to about sort of organizational um, work family policies and so forth. But um, a, a friend of mine who's a labor economist, Nagase Nobuko, she has done some analyses that suggest, I would, I would emphasize the word suggest that uh, the proportion of Japanese women who quit the workforce when they have their first child is starting to go down. So the percentage of Japanese women, certainly the percentage of Japanese women who quit work upon marriage has gone way down. So that's not a dominant pattern, you know, the dominant pattern that it was, say, 30 years ago. The majority of Japanese women do not quit work, do not leave employment when they marry. It's still the case that 60, 60 percent of Japanese women, married women, do quit work when they have their first child. So this is very high. Nobuko thinks that it's starting to go down a little bit, um, which would be the result of women, again, being able to take child care leave and come back to the workplace, which, of course, wasn't really... A strong option, maternity leave, but not child care leave, 20 years ago. Um, but it's still close to 60 percent. so that's a very high percentage of women leaving the workforce when um, when they, um, when they um, have their first child. So uh, that's what you know one of the things that Abe Prime Minister Abe um, obviously is trying to change. Um, So I showed the fertility aspirations and the actual completed fertility within Japanese marriages. And now I just want to say a few words about the theoretical perspective I'm going to use today, Um, really a few words, and then get to some empirical analyses with micro-level data. Very simple analyses, but um, in any case. Um, The perspective I want to talk about is the gender equity perspective that Peter McDonald has championed, the Australian demographer Peter McDonald. So I think probably a number of you know him, but McDonald Um, I see his approach as really kind of supplementing, not replacing exactly, but really kind of adding another wrinkle to labor economists' um, approach about the opportunity costs and the costs and benefits to women of working versus focusing on household production. Um, So McDonald um, has really argued that, Again, adding another layer to labor economists' reasoning about work family compatibility. McDonald has said you know it's pretty much universal in the post industrial world that more and more women are going on to higher education have greater opportunities maybe not equality but expanded opportunities in the labor market so the role of women in the public sphere is really being transformed and it it historically you know this is this is really very Striking, um, and it's universal across post-industrial societies. And as we know, in many countries, post-industrial countries now, women are getting going farther in the educational system than men are, developing a lot of human capital, and then going into the workforce. Um, but McDonald points to the inequity or the imbalance between women's increased participation and. In- gradually increasing equality with men in the public sphere versus the private sphere of the household and he says unless until and unless um, these um, gender equity is greater in both spheres fertility is going to remain low in in the very low fertility societies of East Asia southern Europe and also Eastern Europe so he he um, Says in one of his articles, very low fertility rates will persist unless gender equity within family oriented institutions, which is basically the household, rises to much higher levels than today, than prevail today. In a context of high gender equity in individual oriented institutions, education and the labor market, higher gender equity in family oriented institutions will tend to raise fertility. So he's pointing to the household as a really important um, locus of um, for for us to focus our attention on. So it's it's very this this argument that he makes is although he doesn't necessarily cite a lot of you know sociologists of gender inequality, but it's very consistent with um, sociologists who've written about the so-called unfinished gender revolution and so forth, that women's work hours, again, in, across post-industrial societies, women's employment hours have gone up, men's have generally, generally gone down a little bit, and within households, women's hours w- of household work and childcare have gone down a little. Men's have come up a little, but there's still a big, big gap. Even in, including the US. I mean, US is no exception. So, so what more and more women, as they enter the workforce, married women and mothers, they're doing two shifts. They have two full time jobs in a lot of cases. Well, obviously, Japan is a really good example of this. Um, why? Because, again, Prime Minister Abe is trying to get more and more um, mothers into the workforce full time. And because Japan persistently shows up in cross national surveys as having one of the most gendered household division of labor um, situations. So um, I'm doing work um, with it on actually on the data set that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes um, micro level data set. And I was telling someone over lunch in this data set of married individuals. Um, about 20% of the Japanese husbands say they don't do any housework, any. And um, the, the, these data, um, I'll get to the data in a moment. I'll describe them better and say a few words about why I think it's reliable. <laughs> it's um, pretty reliable. So um, so what I'm going to do empirically is um, use data, micro-level data, to look at what determines the intentions of married individuals, men and women, to want to go on to have a second child. Um, And so it's a pretty simple analysis. But let me tell you about the data. Uh, These data were collected by um, Ron Rinfus, Noriko Tsuya, um, and several other people. And it's a national, the data are a national two stage stratified probability sample of Japanese men and women aged 20 to 49. And the data also includes singles, but I'm not going to be talking about the single individuals. So I'm going to focus only on the married respondents. And what I did for these analyses is to restrict um, the age of the wife to 40 or under, um, because we want to, uh, I could also do 35 or under, but because we want to look at fertility intentions, people who, whether they they want to continue and have another child or not, or even have a first child. And then I don't um, do anything with men's age, because men can have Men can potentially father a child um, at any age. But I restrict women's age to 40 and under. Um, and all of these um, individuals are in their first marriage. Um, I can show you the descriptive characteristics, but the table's large and boring. Um, oh, well, I'll go back to that. Um, but. Um, So we don't need to spend much time here, this just shows you the educational distribution of the people in the sample. So let me explain. This is a sample of um, married men, independently drawn, and married women. So these are not couples, these are not individuals married to each other. and when I looked, for instance, at the number of housework hours that wives report that their husbands put in, you know, you might, you might think at first, well, this could be... Um, they could be really minimizing the amount that their husband does. You know, they could be under-reporting it. And similarly, the Japanese men, married men who were surveyed, they could be inflating the number of hours they report for housework. So I cross-checked. I looked at, well, what are men reporting about what they do and their wives do? And then for the female sample, again, which was independently drawn, what do they report for their own behavior and their husbands? And it's very... They met, The data basically matched. so that gives me pretty good confidence that, you know, the reporting on own housework hours and spouses' housework hours are, are um, accurate. So this is this is um, this table is just showing what the male respondent said and what the female respondent said. So in other words, the housework hours here are the are for the self. So men report, on average, four hours of housework time per week, and women report 27. Um, And um, actually, you can see the consistency across the two sexes reports by looking here, because men report that after I calculate how much their wife does, what share of the housework their wife does, it's 85%. When women report it, it's 87%, so it's basically the same. Um, men tend to be happier with their marriages than women are. Um, this is statistically significant. Um, men are much more, much more happy with the household division of labor than women are. That's a 10-point scale. And this is, this is across the entire sample, not um, controlling for whether they already have kids or not. So, you know, we don't need to take this statistic too seriously. But about half of people want to proceed to a birth. But again, that could be the first birth or the second birth or whatever. So, anyway, these are just the descriptive statistics. So, um, what I did was to, uh, oh, this shows the distribution of household labor. So, I looked at um, the proportion of um, the total housework hours. Um, in in a couple that the wife contributes and what you see is it's very highly skewed to the right um, so you know there are couples where the wife is doing quite a substantial number of couples where the wife is doing way over 60 percent and i did it for Batalaki couples and male breadwinner couples households where the wife is not working and it's Basically, the same distribution, except that it's more spread out here. So, tomobataraki couples, there's more variation. Um, And I was very intrigued by this, you know, people who are saying it's half and half. Unfortunately, this is not a large enough number of couples for me to be able to really do any analysis. It's like 42 people say we split the house, the whole labor you know, evenly. So it's just not enough people. It would be really great to be able to um, analyze that, but it's not enough individuals. Anyway, so that's what the Household Division of Labor looks like, it's very highly skewed. And again, in international surveys, Japan, depending on the constellation of countries included in the survey, Japan is usually the outlier. I mean, it's usually the one where men are contributing the least amount of time to housework. But it's also, you know, the country where work hours are the longest. Or if Korea is in the sample, okay, work hours are a little bit longer in Korea. But Korean and Korean men don't contribute very many hours to housework either. So the male work schedule, you know, the typical um, um, work schedule, Makes it very difficult for men to contribute very much to the household division of labor. This does not include child care hours because this survey didn't include child care. So I'm going to show you this and then I'm going to narrow it down. But um, oh, I have to go back to the question. I wanted to show you the question in Japanese. So this is kind of not the demographers dream question, I don't think, because demographers tend to ask about ideal family size and then, um, so do you intend to have a child um, or do you plan to have a child in the next three years or the next five years? And the reason for that is because then you can really look at what people dream of and what they actually think they're going to do. And this question is almost in between, but I argue that it's pretty close to intentions. もう一人欲しいですか? Um, so it's a not it's a not ideal family size. Um, I think it's pretty close to intentions. Um, and so then the people who said Hoshi or um were asked how many more children you want to have. Um, so again, it's kind of a weird question because it's not a st- it's not the standard way that I think most demographers would want to ask the question, but I think I see it as much closer to intentions than to pie in the sky ideals. So what I did was to analyze I just put Zeki Hoshi and Hoshi together as wanting a child, and I put dochira tomoyenai. and I together with not wanting a child. So I just created a binary variable, dummy variable. It doesn't really matter very much whether you treat it as a dummy variable or whether you treat it as an ordinal variable. Um, And then I looked at um, a number of independent variables. So I started out, I looked by parity. So parity zero is when people don't have any children, and then on along. But there aren't very interesting patterns by parity. So we can come back to this if you want to. But I'm just going to look at, just going to focus on people of all parity. So it's whether they want another child. They may have no kids, they may have one kid, they may have two kids. Again, the independent variables don't change, the value of them doesn't change very much by parity. So these are odds ratios. So if it's over one, it means this is contributing to people wanting to have a child. So university-educated individuals are more likely to want another child. Husband's work hours have a slight negative effect, because the uh, log odds is below one. And household income has not a terribly strong effect, but it's highly significant. Um, Age, obviously, extremely significant. The older you are, the less likely. It is that you're going to want to proceed to have another child. And sex doesn't matter, um, whether it's a man, the man or the woman who's giving the answer, it doesn't matter once um, these controls are in place. So then, um, this is just a simple analysis, but I added um, uh, we have wife's work hours and I added wife share of housework. And wife share of housework has a strong negative effect. So the more the wife is totally in charge, or very much in charge of the housework, the less likely it is that either spouse, men or women, um, well, it's con- sex is controlled, I'm sorry, sex is controlled in the equation, um, the less likely it is that the individual responding says that I want to proceed to the next, to have a second child. And I did this by parody And these are the results. So for people who have one child, the household division of labor is, there's this very strong negative effect. The more the wife is doing all the housework, the less likely that there's an intention to proceed to another child. So moving from one child to two. And then within Tomobataraki couples, um, household division of labor is also Um, very important. There's not too much more I can do with these data. Um, As I said, the child care hours are not in the survey, so I can't look at child care. Um, I can probably go ahead and look at child care arrangements that the couple uses, and I haven't had a chance to do that yet. This has been sort of more exploratory. Um, But um, it gives some idea that the internal dynamics of the household are making a difference in what people are thinking about having more children. And I think this is probably bad news for Japanese policymakers, because the government can't really get its hands inside the household <laughs> um, to affect um, how couples are managing you know, daily life. Um, I mean, it's an argument, most likely for husbands' work hours um, being shorter. Um, But again, that's not entirely up to the government. It maybe is partly up to the government, but it's more up to corporations. So, um, So this is, again, my attempt to start looking inside Japanese households, and then I have a big qualitative data project, interview project, that I'm happy to talk about as well. I could tell you some of the Preliminary findings from that. So I'll end there.